Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. This episode is our audio companion to PwC's quarter close publication, which rounds up topics to be aware of as you close your books for the quarter. And for another quarter end resource, don't forget to tune in to the quarterly webcast. You can register for the webcast by heading on over to viewpoint.pwc.com. With that, I'd like to introduce your narrators, PwC partner, Angela Ferguson, and PwC Managing Director, Mark Jerusalem, back this month to take you through the quarter close. Angela and Mark are both from our national office. And now I'll turn it over to Angela and Mark. In the fourth quarter, many companies are turning their attention to the year-end financial reporting season. In Ask the National Office, we provide reminders on topics that should be top of mind this year-end. On the list, MD&A, impairments, and subsequent events. Another area of focus in the current economic environment is managing or reducing costs, as evidenced by recent announcements of hiring freezes and layoffs. We help you navigate the financial reporting impact of various cost-cutting measures, including workforce reductions and contract terminations. While companies await the SEC's final rules on ESG reporting, global proposals continue to move forward. We provide the latest updates and summarize the next steps. Additionally, companies doing business with the U.S. government will want to take note of a new ESG reporting proposal impacting federal contractors. In standard-setting news, the FASB has finalized new required disclosures about supplier finance program obligations, which will be effective next year. We also highlight the FASB's recent proposals on segments and leases and the latest decisions on the income tax disclosure project. In this edition of The Quarter Close, we highlight these and other relevant accounting and reporting topics you should consider as 2022 comes to a close. This first section of the quarter close is accounting and reporting hot topics. We'll start with Ask the National Office, where we discuss top year-end financial reporting reminders. We asked Danielle Clark and Lindsay Fitch, directors in PwC's national office who specialize in SEC reporting, for their thoughts on areas of focus for this year-end. How does the current economic environment impact year-end reporting? Danielle, current economic factors such as inflation, rising interest rates, and supply chain disruptions can impact a company's business in various ways. In response, management should be taking a fresh look at their disclosures. In particular, public companies should consider relevant disclosure within MD&A including critical accounting estimates and liquidity and risk factors. As a reminder, MD&A should provide information that the company believes is necessary to explain its results, including known material events, trends, and uncertainties impacting the business. In our latest review of SEC comment letter trends, MD&A was the most frequent area of comment, 
Topics included short and long-term liquidity needs, known trends and uncertainties, and impacts of current economic factors. Our podcast series on comment letter trends, including the episode on MDNA, provides helpful reminders for companies as they draft year-end disclosures. What are some specific areas that could be impacted by current economic factors? Lindsay, we continue to see impacts on asset impairments and valuations. For example, management should consider the impact of inflation and supply chain disruptions on future cash flows, as well as the impact of rising interest rates on discount rates. Additionally, SEC guidance in Regulation SK Item 303 requires a sensitivity analysis of significant inputs as part of a company's critical accounting estimate disclosures. Companies should ensure that they have effective controls over the models, data, and key assumptions used in impairment analyses and the related disclosures. Our Impairment Toolkit podcast series takes a deeper dive into impairment considerations in today's environment. Companies may also want to revisit our in-depth FAQ on accounting and uncertain economic times for insights on a broad range of accounting considerations related to the current economic environment. Are there any new disclosure requirements to highlight for 2022? Danielle, I'd focus on the new disclosures about government assistance effective for calendar year-end business entities in their 2022 annual financial statements. The disclosures required by ASC 832 include 1. Significant terms and conditions of government assistant transactions, 2. Accounting policies applied, and 3. The effect on impacted financial statement line items. Section 3.10.3 of our Financial Statement Presentation Guide has more details. Lindsay, looking forward to proxy season, many SEC registrants will be required to include new disclosures related to executive compensation in their upcoming proxy statements. Among other things, amended rules require tabular presentation of compensation actually paid to executive officers, along with a number of performance measures. Companies should start preparing now, as they may need to gather additional information, such as year-end fair value measurements of stock-based compensation awards. Additional information can be found in our in-brief, SEC adopts pay versus performance disclosure rules. What other reminders would you give companies this year-end? Danielle, in the current environment, companies need to be prepared for events occurring after period end that could require adjustment to the financial statements or disclosure in accordance with a subsequent events guidance in ASC 855. This includes having controls and processes in place to identify, evaluate, and potentially make adjustments for subsequent events up through the date the financial statements are issued. Our 2020 podcast, Subsequent Events, What You Need to Know, is a helpful refresher on the framework and areas commonly impacted by subsequent events. The next accounting and reporting hot topic we'll cover is accounting for workforce reductions and other restructuring activities. PwC's latest Pulse survey shows that many companies continue to scale back in areas that don't support their strategic growth initiatives. For example, 26% of executives are planning to reduce the number of full-time employees over the next 12 to 18 months, and 42% 
of executives are planning cost-cutting measures other than reducing headcount. The financial reporting impact of workforce reductions and other cost-cutting measures can vary. In some cases, the impact may be recognized immediately in the financial statements. However, not all actions will result in immediate recognition. Employee Termination Benefits Workforce reductions often include termination benefits, such as severance payments to departing employees. The accounting for these benefits depends on their type. One-time involuntary termination benefits. Recognize when all of the conditions in ASC 420-10-25-4 are met, including management's commitment to a plan that is sufficiently detailed, and the benefit arrangement has been communicated to employees. Termination benefits provided under an existing plan. Recognize when it is probable employees will be entitled to the benefits and the amount is reasonably estimable. Benefits provided to employees electing voluntary termination, for example, early retirement. Recognize when employees irrevocably accept the offer and the amount of the termination liability is reasonably estimable. The differences in the guidance outlined above could result in costs being recorded in more than one period if employees receive a combination of benefit types. For example, employees may receive termination benefits under an existing plan, recognized when probable and estimable, along with an incremental one-time benefit, recognized only once communicated to employees. Refer to Chapter 8 of our Pensions and Employee Benefits Guide for further information. Companies also frequently accelerate the vesting of stock-based compensation awards that would have otherwise been forfeited in connection with involuntary employee terminations. If the acceleration is a modification of the award, that is, it was not provided for in the original terms of the award, it is a quote-unquote type 3 or improbable-to-probable modification under ASC 718 stock compensation. In that case, compensation cost is recognized equal to the fair value of the award on the modification date and recognized over the remaining service period, if any. If the award's original terms provide for automatic acceleration of vesting upon involuntary termination, the acceleration is not treated as a modification since it is not a discretionary action. However, the requisite service period may have changed once involuntary termination becomes probable. The change in requisite service period should be recognized on a prospective basis. Refer to Section 4.3.2 of our Stock-Based Compensation Guide for further information. Ceasing Use of or Abandoning Leases As part of managing costs, many companies continue to reassess their use of leased real estate which can trigger impairment assessments of the right-of-use asset recognized under ASC 842, Leases. The right-of-use asset is subject to the impairment guidance in ASC 360, Property, Plant, and Equipment. That is, it is tested for impairment at the asset group level. However, if a lessee decides to cease use of leased space, either immediately or at some point in the future, it will need to consider whether the associated right-of-use asset is or will be abandoned under ASC 360. Temporarily idling a right-of-use asset is not considered an abandonment, 
Similarly, vacating leased space with plans to sublease the space in the future does not constitute an abandonment because the lessee could potentially economically benefit from the right-of-use asset in the future. Refer to Section 6.3.1.1 of our Property, Plant, and Equipment Guide for further information. Other Contract Terminations or Modifications Costs to terminate a contract that is not a lease for the purchase of goods or services are recognized and measured at fair value when the company terminates the contract in accordance with ASC 420-10 Exit or Disposal Cost Obligations. However, if the company continues to receive a benefit from a contract, the related costs should be recognized as the goods or services are received. For example, if the company will continue to utilize some, but not all, of the services under a non-cancellable service contract, in effect, the cost of the services being utilized has increased. It is generally not appropriate to accrue anticipated losses on an executory contract in advance of those losses being incurred, unless required by specific U.S. GAAP guidance. For example, ASC 330-10, Inventory, requires recording a loss related to firm commitments to purchase inventory in certain circumstances. This guidance should not be applied by analogy to other arrangements. Companies may also renegotiate contracts with customers, such as long-term contracts at unfavorable prices. The partial or complete termination of a revenue contract is typically accounted for by applying the modification guidance in ASC 606, Revenue from Contracts with Customers. The accounting for a modification that reduces the scope of a contract depends on whether the remaining goods or services in the contract are distinct from the goods or services transferred before the modification. If the remaining goods or services in the contract are not distinct, for example, a single performance obligation is being modified, the modification is accounted for on a cumulative catch-up basis. If the remaining goods or services in the contract are distinct, the modification is accounted for prospectively as if it were a termination of the existing contract and the creation of a new contract. For modifications accounted for prospectively, Payments made to or received from customers in connection with the renegotiation typically impact the amount of revenue recognized prospectively for the remaining goods or services. Refer to Section 2.9 of our Revenue from Contracts with Customers Guide for further information. For further details on the accounting for disposal activities, exit costs, and restructuring charges, refer to Section 6.4 of our Property, Plant, and Equipment Guide. For discussion of various issues that may arise in the current economic environment, read our in-depth FAQ on accounting in uncertain economic times. The next accounting hot topic we cover is an update on accounting for transferable credits provided by the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA, signed into law in August, includes significant tax incentives for energy and climate initiatives. We continue to update our guidance as accounting interpretations evolve related to the provisions of the IRA, including the accounting for transferable credits that may be used by a reporting entity 
as a reduction of income tax payable on its income tax return or sold to another taxpayer. As it relates to the specific credit transferability provisions introduced by the IRA, we understand that the FASB staff believes it is most appropriate to account for such credits as part of the provision for income taxes under ASC 740 income taxes, regardless of whether the reporting entity that receives the credit claims the credit on its tax return or if that entity sells the credit to another taxpayer. Because there is no directly applicable gap, the FASB staff acknowledges that other views may be acceptable. Read our updated in-depth Accounting for the Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act for the latest insights. In the next section of the quarter close, we cover regulatory developments starting with year-end messages from the regulators and standard setters. The 2022 AICPA and CIMA Conference on Current SEC and PCAOB Developments is just wrapping up as of our publication date. The highly anticipated annual conference features representatives from the SEC, PCAOB, FASB, and IASB, along with many other distinguished speakers discussing both the latest financial reporting developments and what to expect in the coming year. For the key messages and takeaways, tune into our Q4 2022 quarterly accounting webcast and stay tuned for further resources coming soon. The next regulatory development we'll cover is Final Rules for Clawback of Erroneously Awarded Executive Compensation. In October, the SEC adopted final rules regarding the recovery of erroneously awarded incentive-based executive compensation. The rules direct U.S. securities exchanges to establish standards to require listed issuers to develop and implement a written policy providing for the recovery of incentive-based compensation received by current and former executive officers in the event of a required accounting restatement when that compensation was based on an erroneously reported financial reporting measure. New Exchange Act Rule 10D-1 sets forth the detailed requirements that must be included in the issuer's clawback policy including a broad definition of people that would be considered executive officers, which is more inclusive than definitions of the same term used in other SEC rules, and guidance relating to the types of accounting restatements that would trigger the recovery requirements. As detailed in the new rule, this would include any required accounting restatement within a three-year look-back period, immediately preceding the date the issuer is required to prepare the restatement. As defined, an accounting restatement is one that corrects an error in a previously issued financial statements that is material to the previously issued financial statements, that is, a big R restatement, or would result in a material misstatement if the error were corrected in the current period or left uncorrected in the current period. That is, a little r restatement. The new rule and related amendments include a number of new disclosure requirements, 
including requiring issuers to file their recovery policy as an exhibit to their annual reports, and establishing new cover page disclosures on Forms 10-K, 20-F, and 40-F, indicating whether the financial statements included in the filing reflect the correction of an error and whether the error correction required an incentive-based compensation recovery analysis. Effective date. The exchanges must file proposed listing standards to implement the SEC's directive no later than February 26, 2023, which is 90 days after the final rules were published in the Federal Register. And those listing standards must be effective no later than November 28, 2023. Affected issuers will be required to adopt a recovery policy no later than 60 days after the listing standards become effective. For more information, read our in-depth SEC Adopts Executive Incentive Compensation Clawback Rules for questions and answers that detail some of the key provisions of the new rule and related amendments. The next regulatory development we'll cover is ESG reporting, next steps for global proposals. Over the past quarter, standard setters and regulators worldwide have been busy discussing next steps on proposed sustainability reporting requirements. While the SEC continues to review the letters received in response to its proposed rule on climate disclosures, both the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, EFRAG, and the International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB, publicly progressed the development of their reporting standards in response to comments received on their respective exposure drafts issued for public consultation earlier this year. First, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, CSRD, slash EFRAG reporting standards. In November, both the European Parliament and the Council of the European Union adopted the CSRD, which includes mandatory sustainability disclosures for in-scope companies. EU member states will have 18 months to incorporate the CSRD into their own national laws once it is published in the official journal of the European Union. The scope of the CSRD is broad and includes U.S. and other non-EU companies with EU subsidiaries. In addition to subsidiary or EU-level reporting, some non-EU parent companies will be required to report at the global consolidated level. Disclosure and assurance requirements would be applicable as soon as fiscal year 2024 for the first companies in scope of reporting. In addition, the EFRAG Sustainability Reporting Board submitted the first set of draft European Sustainability Reporting Standards, ESRS, to the European Commission in November. The ESRS detail the reporting requirements of the CSRD and cover a broad range of environmental, social, and governance matters. Adoption of the standards is expected in mid-2023. For more background, including details on the scope of the CSRD, read our In the Loop, What's CSRD? It's Important to Know, and our In Brief, EFRAG submits draft European sustainability reporting standards to the European Commission. As a reminder, all resources referenced throughout this podcast, 
including publications and other podcasts, are available at viewpoint.pwc.com. Next, the ISSB's IFRS Sustainability Disclosure Standards. During redeliberations, the ISSB confirmed many of its original proposals from the two exposure drafts, including the requirement to disclose Scope 3 greenhouse gas emissions, and tentatively decided to change other key provisions, including removing the concept of quote-unquote enterprise value from the objective and description of materiality. They are also proposing to remove the requirement to use the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board standards to report industry-specific disclosures on climate. The ISSB expects to finalize the two standards in early 2023. During COP27 in November, the first jurisdiction, Nigeria, announced its intention to adopt the ISSB standards when issued. For more background, read our in-depth what you need to know about the ISSB exposure drafts. For more information, looking for more information on steps to take now on ESG reporting? Read our In the Loop ESG reporting, Preparing for Tomorrow's Rules Today, or listen to the on-demand audio version. The next regulatory development we'll cover is a U.S. federal government proposal that would require certain climate disclosures for government contractors. In November, the Federal Acquisition Regulatory Council proposed new rules that would require many federal contractors to provide certain climate-related disclosures. The proposed rule has a stated intent of prompting suppliers to take action on measuring and managing greenhouse gas, or GHG, emissions reductions via public transparency. Almost 6,000 entities representing approximately 86% of the federal government's annual spending are expected to be subject to these requirements. Proposed Requirements The proposal would require major federal contractors, as defined, to provide public disclosure of Scope 1, Scope 2, and relevant Scope 3 GHG emissions, climate-related financial risk factors based on the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, framework, and GHG reduction targets established in line with the Science-Based Targets Initiative, or SBTI. Major contractors without existing targets would be required to establish them. Smaller contractors, defined as significant, would be required to provide disclosure of Scope 1 and Scope 2 GHG emissions. Major contractors are those receiving more than $50 million in federal contracts, while significant contractors are those receiving from $7.5 to $50 million in federal contracts. These thresholds are based on the size of contracts awarded and not on related revenue in any given year. There are also limited exceptions. Next steps. Comments on the proposal are due January 13, 2023. Both major and significant contractors would be required to provide the annual disclosure of Scope 1 and Scope 2 GHG emissions beginning one year after the publication of a final rule. 
a major contractor's annual climate risk and science-based target disclosures, including relevant Scope 3 emissions, would be effective two years after the publication date of the final rule. For more details, read our in-brief, GHG and Climate Risk Disclosures Proposed for Federal Contractors, and listen to our podcast, Talking ESG, Proposed Climate Disclosures for Federal Contractors. The final regulatory development we'll cover is the OECD minimum tax. The current international tax landscape has been in place for decades, but now dramatic changes may be on the horizon. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, backed by countries around the world, has been pursuing a quote-unquote two-pillar solution aimed at alleviating certain global tax challenges that it believes arose from the digitalization of the economy. This OECD two-pillar framework will significantly alter many international tax practices we follow today with a related impact on reported earnings. In preparation, all companies should begin to assess what the OECD's proposal framework will mean to them. Read our In the Loop, the OECD Minimum Tax, What U.S. Companies Need to Know, or listen to our on-demand audio version for more background on the framework and how it will impact U.S. companies. The final section of the quarter close we'll cover is standard setting updates. Up first. A final standard adds disclosures about supplier finance programs. In September, the FASB issued ASU 2022-04, which requires disclosures about supplier finance program obligations, also referred to as reverse factoring, payables finance, or structured payable arrangements. While the new standard does not address the accounting for these arrangements. It requires specific disclosures intended to enhance transparency, such as key terms of the program, amounts outstanding, and changes in that amount during the period. The standard is effective for fiscal years beginning after December 15, 2022, including interim periods within those fiscal years except for the requirement to provide roll-forward information, which is effective for fiscal years beginning after December 15, 2023. Refer to Section 11.3.1.5 of our Financial Statement Presentation Guide for further details. Next, the FASB issues proposals on segment reporting and common control leases. In October, the FASB issued an exposure draft proposing new segment disclosure requirements. The proposal would not impact how companies identify their reportable segments. However, it would add new disclosures of significant segment expenses that are both 1. regularly provided to the Chief Operating Decision Maker, or CODM, and 2 included in the reported measure of segment profit or loss. Significant segment expense categories would include those that are easily computable from the management reports that are regularly provided to the CODM. The proposal would require disclosure of the title and position of the CODM and permit companies to report multiple measures of a segment's profit or loss. 
The disclosures would be required in both interim and annual periods and would also apply to companies with a single reportable segment. Comments on the proposal are due December 20th. The FASB also issued an exposure draft of a proposal in November that would permit all companies to amortize leasehold improvements related to common control leases over their economic life, regardless of lease term. It would also allow private and certain not-for-profit entities to use the written terms and conditions of a common control arrangement without further assessing legal enforceability of those terms. Comments on the proposal are due January 16th. Finally, we have a project spotlight on the FASB's vote to issue exposure draft on income tax disclosures. In November, the FASB voted to move forward with a proposal focused on the disclosure of A, income taxes paid, and B, the rate reconciliation table. The FASB voted to propose that the disclosure of income taxes paid be disaggregated by federal, state, and foreign taxes, both on an interim and annual basis. On an annual basis, companies would disclose income taxes paid disaggregated by individual jurisdiction using a quantitative threshold of 5% of total income taxes paid. Public business entities would also be required to provide, on an annual basis, rate reconciliation information by specific categories, including state and local income tax, the effect of cross-border tax laws, foreign tax effects, and tax credits, among others. Companies would separately disclose reconciling items by nature using a quantitative threshold of 5%, as well as by jurisdiction in the foreign tax effect category. There would also be additional qualitative disclosures required. The FASB decided the proposed amendments would be applied on a retrospective basis. The exposure draft is expected in the upcoming months and will have a comment period of 75 days. For more information, refer to the FASB's project page. For a complete list of recently issued accounting standards and their effective dates, including links to PwC resources, refer to the guidance effective for calendar year-end public companies and guidance effective for calendar year-end non-public companies pages on Viewpoint. The next section is the PwC Reference Library. Refer to the print publication for a listing of reference materials, including podcasts, webcasts, and print publications that expand on the discussion in the quarter close. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes. So that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. 
This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.